Well, here we are in the thick of a new year. And as usual, new years bring along new beginnings and possibly new promises for things to come. So for those of you out there who happen to own a business, I want to tell you a little bit about FedEx Office. If you're just starting or have been running a company for, I don't know, years, generations, an eternity, FedEx Office gives you the best way to print marketing materials, posters, signage, graphics, and much, much more. With FedEx, creating, editing, saving, and ordering are fast and easy. Right now, we're teaming up with FedEx and Podgo to bring our listeners 30% off your next order of $100 or more at podgo.co slash FedEx. That's podgo.co slash FedEx for 30% off your next order. FedEx, the world on time. Oh, speaking of being on time, I'm late for the show. And now, nail down the furniture, boys and girls. This is Teller Hell. <sighs> well, here we are. Valentine's Day once again. A day that I would mildly tolerate were it not for the fact that whoever's in charge of the marketing for that day seems to constantly miss the mark on it. Love American style, than the red, white, and blue. Between all things heart-shaped, boxes of chocolate, chalk-flavored candies, various bits and pieces of jewelry, and enough Hallmark cards to turn the average person who reads them into a type 2 diabetic, you kind of have to wonder how we got to this point from the beheading of a Roman evangelical in the 3rd century. And yet, the day continues to be the one day out of the year where it pretty much says in bright neon letters, Love me or else. But even though I'm trapped in hell, I know that this isn't what love is really all about. I could quote the book of Corinthians here, but that's unfortunately at the other place. I'll sum things up. Love should never be forced down other people's throats. More often than not, you have to let things happen naturally. If you fail to do that, then you might wind up either as a victim or a suspect on a future episode of SVU. But talk is cheap. It's one thing to say that love shouldn't be forced on us, but it's another thing to show an example of that claim. And for that, we're gonna need some help today. I still have a couple of these pocket hell draggers lying around. And for what I want to discuss today, I'm going to need to bring down a couple of specialists. So let me aim carefully and bring down a pair of sitcom superfans to Tele-Hell. I gotta get used to the kickback on these things. legitimately trying to tell me that Fonzie gets all of his cool from his leather jacket and nothing else. He certainly didn't get it from wearing that windbreaker in season one. Don't you remember in season two when he shows up in the pool hall and hits the soda machine? The scene wouldn't have had half as big an impact if he was wearing something out of the members only catalog. That could have been a coincidence. It's an old-fashioned machine. See that? Now you got the Fonzie gods mad. Oh shit! many questions to ask. Then let me answer them before you ask. You're in hell, I'm a podcast narrator, and I've dragged both of you down here to help me review a bad TV show. Once you do, I'll let you back on the surface. Both? But I'm the only one here. What the? Hold on, that's not right. Uh, let me check something. Uh-huh. Hmm. 
says here I was supposed to have dragged two people down here, but one couldn't be dragged due to a clerical error? Huh. Well, according to my dragger, you're definitely Joe Blevins of These Days Are Ours, a podcast dedicated to the TV show Happy Days. But you also have a co-host named Peter Freeville. He should have been down here with you. Uh, let me check the instruction manual. Let's see here. Oh, I see why. <laughs> okay. Uh, according to this, the dragger isn't designed to bring people to hell who are under the age of 30, except in extreme circumstances. Why 30? Well, apparently there's a grace period in the Eternity Handbook that states that everybody does foolish things throughout their 20s, and for some reason, Hell rejects them because they're still considered young and innocent in spite of their mistakes, and that true judgment doesn't begin until you turn 30, unless you commit a big enough crime when you're young that you get sent to a prison or a juvenile hall. Well, good for him, but what about me? I didn't do anything bad, did I? Relax. Like I said, you're just a visitor for now. I dragged you down here because there's a particular show that I wanted to look at, but because it's related to Happy Days, I need some expert analysis on the subject. What does Happy Days have to do with hell? Nothing, really. But for our purposes, it's because we're going to take a look at one of the more, shall we say, unfortunate byproducts of that show's success. Once we do, then I'll spare you. You want me to review Out of the Blue? Out of the... No! Besides, I need to have a representative from the place upstairs to look at that one. No, Joe. I think you know what show I'm talking about. I'm sorry. Dumpy, you can say that down here. I've honestly said worse things when I was alive that would make sailors blush. Oh. Well, it's just that me and Peter usually do our show together. It would be weird if he wasn't here. Don't worry. This may be hell, but that doesn't mean we can't be accommodating. Luckily, the Hell Dragger also stores your personal information and Wi-Fi passwords. So we can just place a call here on the Hellophone, and he can join us via conference call. Wouldn't Zoom be easier? Come on, this is hell. We thrive on antiquated technology. Hello? Hello, Peter. How did you know my name? Never mind that. I've got your friend Joe here. And if you want him to return to the surface, he says he needs your help in reviewing a certain TV show. You mean... You want me to review Out of the Blue with him? It's not Out of the Blue! It's the other one! Lansky's Beauties? The other other one! Ew, you want us to look at Joni Loves Chachi? It's either that, or your friend will wind up in our fraud circle, where he'll be doomed to eternity to watch a 24-hour loop of Laverne and Shirley in the army. Hey, I kinda like that show. Hush, you! Anyway, Peter, if you don't do this, you can say bye-bye to Joe. Okay, fine. What what do we have to do? I'm gonna send you everything you need. Just read the script where indicated, and when it comes to reviewing the episode itself, just say what's on your mind once we get there. Sounds easy enough. So, when do we start? I start. After all, this is my show. Just get ready for your cues in three, two... Sunday, Monday, happy days. I honestly don't have a bad thing to say about Happy Days. Various shark-jumping escapades aside, this show rightfully deserves its place in TV history among one of the greats. Of course, we can't fully tell this story without first invoking the wise words of the hallowed being known as Troy McClure. Spin off! Is there any word more thrilling to the human soul? Well, I can think of several words more thrilling than that, but spin off is good too. After all, TV spin-offs are probably the earliest example of what we now know in more popular terminology as an extension to an expanded universe. Just ask Marvel Studios. Spin-offs of various forms of media were a lot older than one could think, as one of the first ever modern media spin-offs took place during the era of old-time radio. 
As early as 1941, the radio program Fibber McGee and Molly featured a highly popular character known as The Great Gildersleeve. Gildersleeve turned out to be a character that dwarfed the parent show's main characters so much that he wound up getting a show of his own of the same name. From there, spin-offs were few and far between, but they still took place during the primitive years of television, most notably when Jackie Gleason took his series of honeymooner sketches from his cavalcade of stars and turned them into the classic 39 episodes we all know and love. Jackie Gleason! The Honeymooners! But while more TV spin-offs wound up taking place over the next few decades, the practice of spinning one show off from another didn't really go into high gear until the 1970s, when You Know Who ran the entertainment division of two TV networks. Bet you thought we'd go an entire season without mentioning our patron saint, didn't you? Well, lucky for him, this is more about Fred Silverman's positive experiences in television, particularly the time he let one Mr. Norman Lear put a TV show on the air that many thought wouldn't last past one episode, let alone 13 in its first season. That show, of course, was... And you knew where you were It goes without saying that All in the Family started modestly, but then over time, the show became the seismic tidal wave that not only changed sitcoms, but all but convinced CBS to gut out its rural-themed programming. And if you want to hear more about the rural purge, I cordially invite you to listen to that episode of Mobituaries when you have a chance. Really, I won't mind, and we'll be right here when you're ready. Anyway, because of the show's success, as well as Lear's creativity and Silverman's drive to keep a TV network at number one, Silverman pretty much gave Lear carte blanche to put on whatever shows he wanted as long as Fred was still in charge of CBS. And so, the spin-off machine began to crank. Well, we're moving on Silverman felt his work was done at CBS and decided to take on a new challenge. Taking a third place also ran and try to do for them what he just did for the eyeball. Welcome, 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 welcome to the bright new world ABC. When Fred Silverman became ABC's head of programming in 1975, he entered the company with a slight dash of irony in the air. While at CBS, the programmer placed the Maud spin-off, Good Times, opposite a show that he seemed intent on wiping off the face of the earth. But now he found himself trying desperately to save. And now, I'm gonna let you two take over from here. Hit it! Happy Days wouldn't have become the all-time great it would eventually become were it not for Silverman and show creator Gary Marshall agreeing on some changes that would ultimately turn the show into a household name. For starters, the show moved from being a single-camera sitcom with a laugh track to being a multi-camera show filmed in front of a live studio audience. Second, they dialed back the emphasis on the goings-on of Richie Cunningham and his family so they can increase their attention on a secondary character, a leather jacket-wearing, motorcycle-driving, soon-to-be king of cool, known as Arthur Fonzarelli. Mm. Between those changes and a shift in time slots, Happy Days suddenly outpaced its former competition, Good Times, and within a year, the show became the highest rated one on television. So much so that Silverman pulled a Norman Lear and asked Marshall to try and expand on the Happy Days universe with its own spinoff. Long story short, he did. And because of the success of Laverne and Shirley, especially with them being the number one show in the country by 1977, the network wanted Marshall to work his magic one more time. While Mork and Mindy wasn't quite the success as Happy Days and Laverne and Shirley, it still garnered enough of a following to become a hit for four years and catapulted Robin Williams into superstar. Afterwards, it seemed as though Marshall couldn't fail, or at least that was the case before Silverman left ABC for NBC in 1978. Still, though, not unlike Norman Lear or even Chuck Lorre in this day and age, he had three highly popular shows on in primetime at the same time. And when that happens, 
You either rest on your laurels or you try to keep busy. As Happy Days entered its eighth season, Ron Howard and Donnie Most already left the show to pursue other things. The show managed to stay highly rated due to the strength of Fonzie, but without his other main character, the show decided to focus on the other members of the Cunningham family, particularly Shortcake herself, Joni, played by the late great Aaron Moran. By this point in the series, the Joni character was already in the beginning stages of a relationship with one Mr. Charles Chachi Arcola, played by <laughs> one of the luckiest people in show business, Scott Bayo. The duo turned out to be one of the reasons why the show wound up staying afloat as a top 20 hit in the 1981-82 TV season. So much so that Gary Marshall and his team decided to roll the spin-off dice one more time in the spring of 1982 and have Joni and Chachi become the latest arm of the Happy Days extended universe. Of course, it simply wasn't as easy as stick popular characters in a new location and see what happens. Though, let's be honest, that's pretty much what they did. They moved the characters from Milwaukee to Chicago for the intention of their characters trying to embark on a music career. And once you hear the show's opening theme song, you'll realize just how foolish an endeavor that would turn out to be. As a bit of an insurance policy, the show transplanted fellow co-star Al Molinaro to the spin-off for the purposes of becoming Chachi's stepfather. Who married Al? Why, the mother to the boy in the plastic bubble. Do you know how much your mommy and daddy love you? Do you? Do you really love you? Uh, no, not her. We still gotta wait a few weeks for that. Uh, I mean his actual mother, Ellen Travolta. Coincidentally, playing Chachi's mom a couple of years before she would play Charles's mom a second time on Charles in Charge. But I digress. Before the show even aired, there were a number of things that it had going for it. Brand name recognition, well-known characters, a lead-in from Happy Days' time slot, and even some of that show's writers, like Lowell Gans, Fred Fox Jr., William Bickley, and Michael Warren. And while there were plans to launch the series in the 1982-83 fall season, some last-minute cancellations earlier that spring was the tipping point for the show to make its debut with a short four-episode first season in the spring of 1982. But by that point, the network didn't really have anything to worry about, considering how well all of Gary Marshall's other shows were faring on the network. So why wait until the fall when they could just put it on right now? Unfortunately for us, we can't just do things right now. We just dumped a lot of exposition in your lap, and we need a breather before jumping into the first episode, which we will do... After the break... Well, have you made an executive decision yet? Oh, of course. Al, this Encore lasagna is delicious. I love the way it's made. So rich, so meaty. I'm going to take some home. Wait, didn't I tell you that Encore is a two-pound family-size entree? Right. Is that too much food for one person? Right. Then don't you need a family like mine to help you eat it all? Wrong. For mm. tasting more, it's Encore. I love this stuff. Telehell is proud to partner up with Dave's Archives. Dave's Archives is the premier spot on YouTube where you can get your vintage TV fix, including old commercials and original shows covering classic TV and other TV-related pop culture. Here's just a small taste of what they have in store for you. If you've got dental work, you've got three great reasons to chew Freedent. You know, Freedent won't stick to your dental work, and Freedent keeps your breath fresh. But maybe you didn't know Freedent moistens your mouth, too. So if you hate a dry mouth like I do, chew Freedent. Freedent's the one that took the stick out of gum. And Freedent moistens your mouth. Yeah, moistens your mouth. And freshens your breath while you chew. Non-stick Freedent moistens your mouth and freshens your breath. Want to check out the rest of it? Go to YouTube and type in Dave's Archives, or you can visit them on Facebook. Again, search Dave's Archives. And now, back to my punishment for the week. March 23rd, 1982. Conan the Barbarian almost made Arnold Schwarzenegger into a star. He still had to wait two years for Terminator to do that. Dictator and President of Guatemala, Efren Rios Montt flees the country, possibly because at 8.30, 7.30 Central, the Dictator turned on his TV to relax for an evening of entertainment, and instead came across this. There's something magic in the way you hold me in your eyes. 
Splatoon couldn't come soon enough. Folks, I wish we could come up with a torture this devious, but even we have our standards. The theme song is sung by the show's two stars, and while I'll concede that at least Aaron Moran had a decent voice, Scott Bayo sounds like he's eating toasted and buttered sandpaper. What do you say, gentlemen? Well, I have mixed feelings about the theme song to Joni Loves Chachi. I at first hated it, but then I kind of got to like it. It was kind of a Stockholm Syndrome thing. And then I turned another corner and started getting tired of it again. So I ended up, I think not liking it is where I ended up landing on that. Yeah. I basically went the, the exact same, went through the exact same journey that you did. Like, I listened to this, when you listen to a song 17 times in a row, like, you develop at least a, maybe not a fondness for it, but a tolerance for it. And you, like, maybe on some level you start to enjoy it just because you've listened to it 17 times in a row. But I, I will say that I'm looking forward to never listening to the song again. In a sane world, just the playing of the theme song alone should have been enough to cancel the show from minute one. But that wouldn't be fair. It certainly doesn't help the show's chances, but it wouldn't be fair because, Satan forbid, we don't get to judge a book by its cover. Not only that, but it also highlights one of the biggest problems that Marshall's shows face by this point in time. The fact that even though this was supposed to take place in the late 50s and early 60s, the musical styling and some of the fashion choices we're going to see is clearly from present-day 1980s. If only that was the least of this show's problems. The parent show, Happy Days, had given up basically on historical accuracy by then. Wouldn't you say by then that they'd kind of given up on... Oh yeah, yeah. Like, just around the time that Ron Howard and Donnie Most left, they just kind of got bored with that. I guess because they didn't really care about inserting things from the early 60s. And it just kind of became this weird, vague, this weird kind of bizarre version of the 1980s. There isn't really anything in the fashion or the aesthetics that really evokes the early 60s. Moving on, the show starts with Al entering the scene of his newly established Italian restaurant and Bob's Burgers-style apartment up above. And this being a Gary Marshall show with recognizable faces, even the most tertiary of characters get a lengthy round of applause. Okay, can we pause for a sec? The show literally just started 17 seconds ago, and as much as I'm sure we all love Al, he hasn't done anything yet. You don't just give seals a fish for not balancing a ball on its nose. He has to earn it first. Let's just see how he has to earn it. As Al pulls out some boiling laundry from one of his food pots, we're soon joined by the mother of America's third favorite Scientologist. She too gets applause before doing anything remotely funny. I was trying to boil a stain out of your pants. The day of all days? And, and, and why do I have to meet all of your family the same day that we're opening a new restaurant? Well, then why do I have to put on the tutorial? Uh, don't worry, okay? And in the midst of a joke involving Al's girth and not knowing the intricacies of a belt buckle... Sound the alarms! Sound the alarms! I mean, holy hell, Scott Bale wishes he had that kind of ovation in this day and age. Was he really that popular back then? All you have to do is listen to that studio audience on Joni Loves Chachi. Every freaking time he walks onto the set, there's this scream from the audience. Scott Bayo, as we all know, is a terrible garbage person. Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. We are pretty harsh on Bayo on our own show. And the guy that we're talking about is a 16-year-old kid. 
basically who hasn't done anything to anybody other than act in a, a movie or two and be oh yeah definitely the 80s were scott bayo years without even a single joke being told yet we try to progress inch by inch in the story oh come on i can't believe this <laughs> do you realize it's already been two weeks since i saw Joni, huh another month i could suffer a permanent disorder of my nervous system and all my teeth could fall out who told you that so, while I resist the urge to make jokes about Chachi's future political leanings, Mama Travolta tries to assure her two-sitcom son that things will eventually be okay, just as a slew of Chachi's bloodline comes stampeding up the stairs. As we get to know the rest of Chachi's family, Mama Travolta has some wise words for Al regarding one of her relatives. Al. Yeah. That's Uncle Rico. He thinks he's the head of the family. The rest of us don't. <laughs> Try to get along with him. It will make our lives a lot easier. Easier. <laughs> and if this were the real world, you'd treat the family, especially a large Italian one, with nothing but respect. But because this is a sitcom, we know the opposite to take place instead. Goomba! Listen, Sal. No, it's Al. Whatever you say, huh? <laughs> oh, no, 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 you don't. Don't do that. We've already had that joke run into the ground from my mother the car. Cranston, listen, Crabtree. Whatever. We don't need any of that stuff here. Uncle Rico is played by comedian and occasional actor Art Matrano, who you might remember best as the guy who played a comic magician who did a bouncing finger trick. Though for the purposes of this being a podcast, it might be more recognizable if we played this piece of music. Family Guy gets sued for ripping him off. Indeed they did. And Matrano won. Thanks Satan for lawyers. Moving on, Uncle Rico lets Al know what to expect out of him. I saw your restaurant downstairs. You gotta walk through it to come Music. Up. A restaurant needs music. And music is my life. Hey, here's my card. It's handwritten. Yeah, I got 14 of them. So we know he's a talent agent, and we also know that our main characters have moved to Chicago to try to make a name for themselves in the music industry. But before two and two make four, we're still missing a couple of quadratics. Chachi, yeah, you got big. You got cute. You got a manager? A manager? No. Oh, huh? Well, you got one now, huh? Only if you're really serious about this, you should uh, hear me sing with my girlfriend. Right, Alan? We're half a team. I'll go call her. No, no, no. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Don't bring in outsiders. Oh, she's real. Don't you ever stop talking. <laughs> well, clearly the show wanted this guy to become the Howard Cunningham of the spinoff. Give or take a lot of room for improvement. Art Matrano is seriously one of my favorite parts of Joni Loves Chachi. A lot of that is probably due to the fact that I grew up watching the Police Academy movies. Whenever I see uh, Art Matrano on the screen, I'm a happy person because it flicks that, you know, it flips that nostalgia switch in my brain and I'm like, we're in good hands now. Art Matrano's here. Everything's going to be fine. He does very, very well at making Uncle Rico this kind of lovable rascal. Like, he is not trustworthy in the slightest, but he is pretty charming. Nevertheless, we then cut to the opening night of Al's restaurant, where after a few bits of lighthearted bumbling, Chachi makes a wardrobe change, and the audience acts accordingly. Come on, don't be nervous, huh? He hasn't done anything yet. Do I have to hit the audience with a fire hose? Anyway, Uncle Rico introduces Chachi to the people performing in his newly formed band. And if Uncle Rico is the Howard Cunningham of this show, then let me introduce you to the Potsy and Ralph Mouth of the program. People that I can only describe as a rejected Guys and Dolls understudy, an Italian Ricky Lake, and Jeff Spicoli's long-lost brother. Hey, Mario and Annette, you're gonna be playing for your cousin Chachi. Won't that be nice? I guess. You're a real ball of fire, Annette. Just like your mother. Hey, Mom gave me 
that hat. It looks better on mother. <laughs> Yo, bingo! Say hello to Chachi. This is your drummer. Hey, hi, bingo. I'm Chachi. I know. We met in another life. Oh, boy. I think I may have bitten off a little more than I can chew with these three. We haven't even seen them at peak capacity yet. Uh, guys, what can you tell us about the Magnificent Three over there? Is Bingo supposed to be a stoner or just really stupid? He's supposed to be, like, full of childlike wonderment. You know, he is in awe at the world. Also, he's really stupid. But uh, I actually really ended up liking all the members of the band. Uh, both, you know, Bingo, you got Mario and Annette. I think those are the three names. Yeah. Um, and I like, and he and Annette are sisters, right? And siblings, are, yeah. Siblings, not bro, siblings. And uh, Art Matrano is their dad, right? Right. And I liked all of them. The only thing I don't like about Annette's character, not anything to do with the actress, I think she's great, is that they just constantly have her either eating or talking about eating like it's the only thing in her life. And at one point, Scott Bayo actually leads her across a room with a chocolate bar, like, or a, I don't know if it's a chocolate bar or a cupcake or a cookie or something. And she just follows like a cartoon character. And I was like, okay, we get it. You know, food is a priority in her life, but you don't have to say it in every single scene in every single moment. So. Yeah, it's kind of uncomfortable. I, I do like, it's, it's just, it's kind of uncomfortable. Yeah, that's the only thing that I would say is um, a negative about that one character, is that they hit that one note a little too often. So, with the trifecta of duh established, we finally get to the reason why Chachi traded the Dairyland for the L train. And I'll bet he gives a very Fun solid performance. <laughs> Again, I know we mentioned this at the top, but the fact remains. Playing music that sounds strikingly familiar to the current decade the show is airing in, it being the 1980s, even though the show is supposed to be taking place within the 1960s, should be more than enough of a downside to invalidate the show. If you're a show based in the 1960s, play music styled from the 1960s. And if your show is set in the 80s, Play music from the 80s. You can't have it both ways. But I promise myself, I get to you eventually. You know, it'd be one thing if they were like good pseudo 80s music, but like they're not. They're, they're just kind of there. That's what I would say about these songs is that they are kind of forgettable. And I think the problem with the music on Joni Loves Chachi is that. This was the early 80s, music videos are blowing up, MTV is blowing up, you know, everybody wants to be, I don't know, Mr. Mr. or Duran Duran or something. And ABC, is, and ABC is like, can you give us something like that? Can you give us something a little bit, you know, a little bit more, uh, I don't know, Pat Benatar or something? Can you give us something like that on our show? And that's what they get. They get sort of 1980s pop music because I think Joni Loves Chachi is ABC's rather feeble attempt to compete with MTV. That's my guess. So after wondering which side of the Mobius strip we're supposed to be on, the performance is going... Ugh, sweet Lucifer, do we really need to hear Bayo sing? Why not hire a session singer to dub over him instead? I'm reaching out to you. Reaching out to you. Now what you gonna do? Do you want... For the sake of how the script was written, however, the show seems to be going okay. Complete with Chachi preening himself for the female audience members. As rock stars of that era or any other era tend to do. That is, until the other title character enters and stares daggers into him for showing off. And it only took her 11 minutes to do. Oh, sure. She gets a concerned ooh from the audience, but Chachi, Al, and Mama Travolta get rousing ovations. Interesting. 
Anyway, as Chachi gets a little overheated with the crowd while Joni watches, Mama Travolta quickly ushers her away to smooth things over. But first, some comments from the peanut gallery. You guys are pretty good. Thanks. You're welcome. It got quiet. Yeah, because the song is over, bingo. Ooh, wow. Fucking riveting. Let's just jump to the part where Joni blows a gasket over what she saw and is continuing to see post-performance. There you go, Angel. Thank you. All right, what's your name? Joni. Joni, is that with a Y or an I-E? <laughs> well, before we dive into how this misunderstanding inevitably gets resolved, I'm going to ask you two. Up to this point in Happy Days history, what are your thoughts on Joni and Chachi's relationship? It is deeply tedious, and I don't like it. One thing that gets established early on Happy Days and gets carried over to Joni and Los Chachi is that Chachi is very quick to jealousy of... Yep. Uh, he is very possessive of Joni, and I keep rooting for Joni to kind of wake up and realize, like, this guy's a jerk. And uh, she never does, really. Although she does get mad with at him quite a lot. Yep. But so, she, she, she never breaks up with him. And they're going to get married in the future. I can say that the genuine, real-life chemistry between Scott Baio and Aaron Moran is palpable on camera. I can see why the writers and producers latched on to that aspect of the show and embroidered on it and decided to make it its own show because I guess they do have a genuine chemistry, but it doesn't lead to like great stories. It doesn't lead to like a lot of great humor. After trying to get Uncle Rico to explain to Joni why Chachi has to make himself presentable for his female fans, Rico tries to be candid and discreet about her possibly joining the group. <laughs> See, this is just public relations, all right? He'll explain it to you. Uncle Rico, this, this is my girlfriend, huh? This is my Uncle Rico. Hi, Joni. How do you do? A pleasure to meet you, huh? You. <laughs> we should talk, huh? Sure. She looks like a Miss Goody Two-Shoes. Of course, Shortcake is having none of it while Rico continues to attempt to try to set things straight. Image is everything. If Chachi's gonna be on stage with a, with a, with a, with a girl, it would be better for his image if the girl was a little... Sexier? Yeah. Thanks a lot. I was just telling you what he means. I didn't say I agree. Well, what do you think? Do you want to go on stage with some hot sex pot? No, I want you. Okay, I'll be honest, it's... It's been an eternity since I've seen anything Happy Days related on a regular basis, so apologies for being in the dark, but I gotta ask you two. We already spoke about how Joni and Chachi's relationship has grown over the years, but what about Joni herself? Clearly, she's offended that she's being dismissed as a goody two-shoes, but I thought she always started things off as the tomboy of the family, looking to do all the things that the cool kids do. Joni is a character with a lot of potential in the early seasons. Uh, one of the things that she does best is undermine Richie, and she kind of like uh, busts Richie's chops all the time. And so she's kind of the smart aleck. And a lot of that goes away. Like, she's not a smart aleck anymore once she gets involved with Chachi. Like, Chachi's more of the smart aleck, and Joni is just like the president of the Chachi fan club. She just like follows Chachi around and does what he wants to do. Yeah. Joni started out as Richie's smart aleck little sister. She was just a really fun kid. One thing that I wish the show had done earlier was introduce on-camera female friends for Joni so we could actually see her hanging out with her friends and having more stories of her own where she's not always just having to be the hanger-on or the kid that's, you know, off to the side. Uh, maybe that's what Chachi allowed her to do, was at least allowed her to go out and do stuff. Regardless of how she wound up to this very point in time, it seems as though she's about to pull a Sandy from Greece and alter herself dramatically just to please some people, hopefully without a leather jacket and matching pants. Act two begins with more musical sandpaper from Chachi in Charge, and a mere 50% of the way through the show, we now get to feast our eyes and our ears 
on Joni version 2.0. of female vocals are actually doing Bayo a huge favor. Joni, who I can only describe as being dressed up as a Mylar acrobatic gimp, is getting covered up by Chachi over fears that she may be attracting too much attention. Ladies and gentlemen, the double standard. It may be okay if a guy in a music duo parades himself for the female fans, but if the female of the duo does the same thing, it doesn't matter if it's the 60s or the 80s. Double standards suck. But not so much that the act can also rip off some actual comedy from an icon. How come it was all right when you did it? How come? How come? How come? I'll tell you how come. Because I wasn't wearing that outfit. That's how come. <laughs> Bang, zoom. After that sip of tepid tap water, we then get Chachi trying to make it up to Joni by defending her honor against a random barfly. When Tad asks, you go. Okay. But I don't, I don't want him. She said no. And just as things are starting to look interesting, we've got a few more visitors from Milwaukee showing up. And here's the thing about this show that bugged me the most. The fact that even though this is supposed to be a show in the Happy Days universe, the show felt a little too dependent on cameos from the mothership. And yes, I know, Fonzie used to cross over with Laverne and Shirley a few times and vice versa. But those appearances were few and far between. Here, in the first episode of the spin-off, no less, even though we already have three characters from the base program in their own series, they insisted on adding more Wisconsinites to the fray, even though it seems like this show wants to be its own thing. It's almost as though ABC didn't have enough faith in the show to begin with, so pump it up with stunt casting steroids, just in case. I think they should have gone even further with this, frankly. <laughs> I think they should have just brought in guest stars every week. I think it should have been like that version of, <laughs> of Scooby-Doo, where they're bringing in Don Knotts and Mama Cass and Dick jo Van Dyke and Son Sonny and Cher. Joni and Chachi meet the Harlem Globetrotters. But the Joni Loves Chachi mysteries? You know, I think <laughs> if they're solving mysteries and traveling around, are you kidding me? In a van with the band, definitely they should be solving mysteries. So I think they should have completely uh, sold out and played up the, the guest star angle. So now, as Mr. and Mrs. C get shoehorned into the show, how does Chachi do against Mr. Barfly? What's going on here? Joni, I'm sorry. But why did you jump in between us? I couldn't help. Oh. Joni, what happened? Hi, Mom. Hi, Dad. Chachi punched me in the face. Hey, what? <laughs> I was trying to punch somebody else. And while we wondered to ourselves how a Gary Marshall sitcom managed to slip a domestic violence joke through the cracks, accidental or otherwise, the two of them try to set the record straight with their parents. How can you let a young girl perform dressed like that? Look, Mr. Cunningham. This is not the, the frumpy 50s. This happens to be the sexy 60s. Except for the fact that they're dressed like it's the 1980s, but we've covered that subject enough already today. This ultimately leads to Big Al saving the day. Look, Rico, I admit I don't know much about the music business. Yeah, well, I do, and that's why I'll take care of it. I'm not through. <laughs> I said... I admit I don't know much about the music business. And maybe you could help Chachi and Joni get a start, because that's what they want. But these are two wonderful kids, people. I want you to know, as long as I have a breath of life in this body, nobody, including you, is going to do anything to hurt them or to hurt what they are to each other. Wow. And here I was thinking Al was just a typical one-note character. But standing up to Mr. Magic Tricks, I'm honestly not sure if that was out of character or actual character development. What do you guys know about Big Al? When he's first introduced in Happy Days, Al is kind of this 
he, he's, a, he's a big sad sack. He's just this very, he's got this perpetual hangdog expression. He really wants to be liked and respected, and he's not quite sure how to go about that. By the time that we see him in Joni Loves Chachi, he seems a lot happier now, and he's making an effort to be Chachi's father. And Chachi reciprocates. Like, there's some difficulty there, but they do genuinely consider one another to be father and son. And it's, it's a very sweet relationship. I don't know, I, I just, I, I really like him in this show. I would 100% agree. I think, you know, he is a softy, you know, and which he admits, like he is a pushover in a lot of ways. And then you get to see him assert himself and, you know, stand up to people. Like when he stands up to the leopards, even at the leopard lodge meeting, and he will stand up to Art Matrano, uh, who is trying to, you know, do something that Al doesn't think is uh, ethical. So, yeah, this is a wonderful showcase for Al, and he. His character really helped me get through these 17 episodes. Yes. Ultimately, everything works out in the end, but not without a concern or two. Judge, how come we were dying to see each other again and when we did it was so crummy? You know what I've been thinking? Before this summer, we were just kids. Yeah. And it's a lot easier to be in love when, uh, your biggest problem is whether to go bowling or to the movies. <laughs> I think everything's gonna be just fine. Yeah. If you don't carry on like you did tonight. If you don't flirt with all the girls after the show. One is business, the other is smut. One <laughs> business. Tomorrow night, you wanna go bowling or to the movies? See why I love you. <laughs> oh, your face. I admit that this show wasn't exactly worthy of winning any awards, it was still lighthearted entertainment that Gary Marshall was known to do throughout his career. Even more so, the show's first four episodes wound up outpacing the Happy Days lead-in that it was given in the spring of 1982. And yet, it perennially has an entry on worst TV show of all time lists. There has to be more to this than it lets on, right? Actually, I think we can take it from here. Well, the show did turn out to be a massive success in its first mini-season, and at the same time, ranking as the fourth highest-rated show among all that broadcast that year, the ABC network was concerned that the show might not have had the staying power to be a hit without its lead-in, especially considering that, by then, Happy Days just completed its ninth season on the air. And while it's a lot more common to see TV shows today with shelf lives long past its expiration date, Happy Days couldn't last forever. That theory was put to the test when in the 1982-83 season, ABC moved the show to Thursday nights instead of its comfort zone on Tuesdays. To put things in perspective, that meant putting the show on opposite the likes of the TV version of Fame on NBC, Magnum P.I. on CBS, and then later in the mid-season, the show found itself up against the A-Team. Suffice to say, the show wound up getting slaughtered, but it also didn't help matters that the episodes of the second season were written by people who may have cut their teeth elsewhere, but didn't really know the Happy Days universe that well, let alone an extension of it. All of these factors were more than enough to take the show from number four in its first year to 70th place the next year. So much was left in this show's wake that in a 2014 interview with the AV Club, even Scott Bayo himself was quoted to say that if given the chance again, he would never do the show a second time. Well, this actually changes things. I mean, at first I was going to burn the show just because of how lame it was, but knowing a lot more was bubbling under the surface, I think I've got some ammo now. Thanks, guys. So, where does Joni Loves Chachi get sent in the couple's counseling of telehell? We'll find out as Cupid's arrows are tinged with a fire from our nine circles. Limbo, lust, gluttony, greed, wrath, heresy, violence, fraud, treachery! First things first. Let's take care of the obvious. Because of how visible it is based on the title of the show alone, it can be established that Joni loves Chachi. And maybe if the show aired at a much later time slot, it may have been able to upgrade itself from love to a different kind of emotion altogether. To say nothing of a long-held urban legend I just found out about the show. Apparently, the show was super popular in Korea because the word Chachi translates to the word penis. 
If that actually was a true statement, the show would have taken on a completely different meaning, but just to cover the bases, we better mark it down for lust just in case. I also have to give it a point for some minor violence thanks to that sucker punch that Chachi landed on Joni, even though he was trying to defend her honor. Accidental or otherwise, you never strike a lady. As for the show itself, this was ABC and Gary Marshall's plan to extend an already aging franchise, even though it didn't really need it. Both parties created a gluttonous amount of Fonzie-related subject matter that audiences simply didn't want to consume. And because the main show was still a cash cow for the network, I can only imagine the amount of money both ABC and Marshall handed over to three of its stars just to participate in the Enterprise. And they were only too eager to say yes to striking out on their own. Greed can be a fickle thing sometimes. Of course, all that effort turned out to be less than worth it once the powers that be added a team of writers to the show that probably didn't have enough knowledge of Happy Days lore, which meant that some of the shows that aired felt like heresy to the original product. While at the same time, the fact that three cast members said yes to doing it resulted in a series that not only didn't need to happen, but at the same time, basically created a needless photocopy of the main show. Almost fraudulent in a way, even though most of the people involved were involved. Circling back to what the network did to the show in between seasons and even in mid-season of 1983, especially putting the show on opposite the A-Team by that January. I can only imagine the network doing that out of mercy to Marshall, but not before how well-intentioned that mercy was. It was still the network's fault for moving the show around in the first place, even though it was perfectly comfortable where it was. A rather treacherous thing for the network to do to one of its long-serving employees. Anything to add, boys? Overall, I would have to say that what surprised me about Joni Los Chachi is that it is a perfectly pleasant, uh, competently produced sitcom that is not nearly as memorable as you would think like the worst show of the 1980s or this, this perennial punchline of a show would be. Uh, Peter knows that uh, I have forced him to watch various other Happy Days and Gary Marshall related shows. Yes. And this isn't nearly the worst of them. Like, Gary Marshall did a show called Me and the Chimp. I think if, for the most part, like that urban legend, the uh, reputation of Joni Loves Chachi being one of the worst shows of the 80s is just completely overblown. Oh yeah, I, I was dreading doing this, but honestly, once I actually watched it, I was like, oh, this is surprisingly tolerable. Like, I, I feel like the, the somewhat overblown reputation of the show could is more applicable to something like Lansky's Beauties, which is genuinely kind of unpleasant to watch. But also, like, Lansky's Beauties is more... It, it's not as connected to the Happy Days universe. Like, Joni Loves Chachi is firmly within the Happy Days-verse, and as a result, like, you, you kind of have to acknowledge that it exists, whereas with Lansky's Beauties, you can just forget about it. And you probably should because it's very bad. And I even said that uh, I think of this less as a spinoff and more as a as a side quest. It's it's Happy Days. It's a Happy Day side quest. Is all this is? Yeah, yeah, that tracks. Joni loves Chachi. Earns seven out of nine circles of telehell. But while the bells clearly tolled for this show, at least Aaron Moran and Scott Bayo saved a little face by returning to Happy Days proper in 1983. By that point in time, both Laverne and Shirley and Morgan Mindy got the boot. The rest of the cast were anxious to do other things, and Gary Marshall felt that enough time had passed so that the story would come to an end, which it eventually did in 1984 in a finale where, among other things, Joni and Chachi got married and the late, great Tom Bosley summed things up thusly. And I guess when you reach a milestone like this, you have to reflect back on, on what you've done and on what you've accomplished. Marion and I have not climbed Mount Everest or written a great American novel, but we've had the joy of raising two wonderful kids and watching them and their friends grow up into loving adults. And now, we're going to have the pleasure of watching them pass that love on to their children. And I guess no man or woman could ask for anything more. So thank you all for being part of our family. To happy days.
Come on, it's Valentine's Day. You knew we had to bring it back to love somehow. And at the same time, I guess I can see why Happy Days means a lot to the two of you. Yeah, Happy Days is interesting as a show that started out being about something, namely 1950s nostalgia, and then over time it became more and more a show about itself. Like, it, it built up this whole lore around Fonzie, and the, the 50s nostalgia eventually just became a weird background thing about the show. And I think that that's where all the spin-offs come from, because, like, and I don't necessarily think that's better or worse, but I do think it's, you know, interesting. But overall, I'm just, I'm glad that we review a nice show. Uh, that is one of the gifts of doing These Days or Ours, a Happy Days podcast, is that Happy Days is at heart a very nice show. It is reassuring. It is comforting. There is justice in this show. It's not one of these nihilistic cable shows where the bad guys win and the good guys give up. It's not one of those shows at all. I like that stuff too. I like nihilism. I like that kind of dark, uh, nihilistic uh, entertainment. But Happy Days isn't like that. Uh, inevitably, good people are rewarded, bad people are punished, and if you are a main character on any of these martial shows, people care about you and your life. You have said it way better than I ever could. And if I was in a more cynical mood, I might say that there is something vaguely sinister about looking at the 1950s and trying to paint it as a more uncomplicated, happier time. Because for a lot of people, for most people, it was not that. But at the same time, I, I do think that Happy Days is a genuinely well-intentioned and pleasant show, and I, I, I appreciate it for what it is. Sweet and with that in mind, we're all set here, and you're free to go, Joe. Just in time, too. We gotta finish up work on the Westward Ho episodes. Oh, I love that one. It was nice to see the gang outside of Wisconsin once in a while. Great, but how exactly do I get out of here? The hole you pulled me through must be millions of miles deep. Well, ask yourself, what would Fonzie do? Oh, I know. It's that easy to get out of here? That can't be right. <laughs> Snap fingers and... Hey! Uh... Wow. Okay, I'm gonna hang up now. It's just got too weird. <laughs> Next time on Telehell, we just learned that just because somebody spends years on a successful sitcom doesn't mean that they'll necessarily do just as well on their own. This time, we talk about one of the more contemporary examples of that. Without communication, I couldn't communicate the importance of communication. Do you understand? Sí, a mí me encanta estar aquí en los Estados Unidos, Bob. Tu programa es fantástico. Tú eres número tres, Bob. Número tres. Bob Patterson is coming to ABC Tuesdays this fall. Until then. If it's not a telehell, it's not worth a damn. Super incredible special thanks to Joe Blevins and Peter Freeville of These Days Are Ours, a Happy Days podcast. Listen to them wherever you stream all podcasts, and you can also follow them on Twitter at Fonzie Podcast. And now, here are the rest of the credits. Telehell was written, produced, edited, and narrated by me, Justin Hart. All clips used in this program are protected under the Fair Use Doctrine of the U.S. Copyright Act of 1976, and all clips used come courtesy of their respective companies and owners. Some of the music used in this program comes courtesy of YouTube and their audio library service. Telehell is a production of Horton Road and is distributed by Libsyn. 
Not unlike certain viruses, Telehell is everywhere now. In addition to Stitcher, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts, we can also be heard on Google Podcasts and the iHeartRadio app. Of course, we can also be heard in a number of other places just by Googling Telehell. And don't forget to like, comment, rate, subscribe, and follow our social feeds. Twitter and Facebook, both at Telehell Podcast. 